Hi, this is Pastor Tim, and I'm always encouraged to hear what God is doing in your life. Now, if you have a story or a testimony to share regarding a miracle, please let me know at story at citylifefw.org. That's story at citylifefw.org. Hey, I'm looking forward to hearing your personal story soon. Welcome to the City Life Podcast. We're all about making Jesus known. We pray these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus, who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. Today's message um, comes from being in a small group. Uh, Colby has a a small group that I've only attended for like three times. Sorry, I haven't made them all. It's like on Wednesdays in the busiest part of the week. Um, but, but one of those meetings that we engaged in, um, I think changed my life. Um, and but it was, it was a kind of a crossroads for me because we were reading this book, um, called mind monsters. It was a little kind of really cheesy book. I read it on the airplane in like 30 minutes and then, but we were talking about it and we, we came to this, uh, I don't know, it was like chapter three or four or five, I don't know, whatever. Um, but we came to Proverbs 1, verse 7, um, and we read the line, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And it was like, it was like a matrix moment, and the whole room just kind of slowed down, and time stood still, and I felt, I felt God just kind of like punch me in the face. Uh, good anthropomorphic illustration, right? God's hand. Come on, we can laugh, right? <laughs> laugh. Um, but it became, in that moment, I, be, I began to wrestle uh, with my own, we'll call it sin, and struggle. Uh, because at the time, this was probably two months ago, um, fear had, um, had me down, lack of a better, better word. Uh, was com- consuming my thoughts, consuming my behaviors, um, consuming um, a lot of what I did on a daily basis. Um, it was more so on the business side. Um, I, I run an adolescent rehab, and uh, it does this, and 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 um, that doesn't make sense when we're not videotaping, so... It has highs and it highs low, has low. So <laughs> you got to remember, I'm, this is a podcast, not video. Uh, so, uh, so I began to wrestle with this thing because I, the way I grew up, um, if you were born kind of before 2000, you've probably seen shirts, unless you shop at Goodwill a lot, that say no fear in basically those shirts. Like I was an athlete, and so everything I did was revolved around sports. And so I had the soccer shirt that said "No Fear" and had the soccer ball on. I had the baseball shirt that said "No Fear," had the baseball on, and then had the football. It was like if you were really cool and you were really engaged and you were a good athlete, you had to have "No Fear" shirts and Umbro shorts. Uh, So that was that was like you knew you were really legit when you had no fear. And so when we went to the when we went to the plate. What was our thinking? No fear, no fear, no fear. 
No fear, no fear. I'm a therapist. Fast forward to master's degree, working with people in anxiety. What do we, 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 we have this cognitive behavioral therapy that I use and, and it says, okay, let's reframe that fear. Let's take that anxiety or that fear and let's, let's kind of repurpose it. Let's don't get, let's don't get rid of it, but let's re, let's reframe it into something new. And so my presuppositions walking into Stephen's house, sitting on his very uncomfortable couch with like really seven strangers is that fear is bad. Anybody agree? Anybody, anybody have, am, am I the only one that's, that's, that's done this? Like that has this presupposition that when we see fear, we go, oh, that's bad. Okay. So and we're rolling into October and, and fear is kind of good. It's like a multi-million dollar industry right now where, where people play on our fears, where people say boo, and then they charge you like $75. <laughs> right, so, so all of our life is, is, is kind of tainted or, or skewed when we see F-E-A-R. So when I came to this first, it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And, and I just scratched my head and I said, wait a minute, guys, I got to roll back to this, this question. And, and the, the very sweet guys in the room. And I said, I, 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 what is up with fear and knowing God? And I got the answer that I, that I grew up with that everyone has always told me, well, fear is about revering God and, and bowing down and honoring. And it just wasn't enough for me. I was like, I get that. I know that. I went to seminary, guys. But right now, in my, in my present, in my being, all the things that I'm seeing, the lens by which I'm reading this, it does not make sense. So I began this journey. The next 48 hours, I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't sleep. Um, I stuck my head in my Bible and my books and uh, began to look at this word fear. Begin to look at it, how, okay, what is it? Why God is the smartest man in the world ever lived who wrote Proverbs that I live by and die by. Tim, I met with Tim one day for breakfast and he said, stop. he told me to stop reading the Bible because I was reading Proverbs like every day, like religiously. Okay, today's the first of the month. I'm gonna read Proverbs. That's a total side note. It was kind of a jib because he told me never to tell anybody that I, he told me to stop reading the Bible. <laughs> uh, so whenever I read Proverbs, I go back to Panera Bread in Lake Worth when he just looked at me and said, hey, stop reading the Bible <laughs> that way. Why is the fear of the Lord tied to the beginning of knowledge? The smartest man, Solomon, the, the wisdom literature is, is just littered with this idea of fearing God and, and, and that journey. So I started looking for proof. Uh, Ray Dalio has a book called Principles, and he says, you, 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 so there's things that you know that you know, but, but find the evidence of why you know that thing, and then you can say it's true. And so I begin to look for evidence. And so me being a therapist, being a counselor, uh, start with the biology. What do we know about our biology? We know that we have a nervous system that's split into two sections, our sympathetic side and our parasympathetic side. Our parasympathetic side is a part that helps us go to sleep, helps us rest, helps us digest food, helps us kind of have all those like <sighs> moments in life. Sympathetic side, anybody know what that is? Yes, the, the, the doc in the room, okay. Um, that's the fight or flight side of us. That's the thing that's built into us when we see the saber-toothed tiger, right, or the bear, 
And we go, our body doesn't have um, a mechanism to stop that. It just has a mechanism to counterbalance the other side of our nervous system. So biologically, we are designed to fear. And so I began thinking about this. Okay, God, I can't get rid of this thing. Where is it going to go? He's like, hey, dummy, you're designed to experience that. So from the get-go, my son biologically comes out of the womb and is designed to have that thing. Follow me? So biologically, our nervous system that fight or flight response is built into us. What does it, what does it do for us? What, is, what does that fight or flight allow us to do? This is the counselor part, right? Uh, it, it allows us to not get eaten, right? To not die. Uh, when a car swerves at us, when like a, a, a 19-year-old TCU girl uh, is on her phone and like swerves at us, we can react, right? Our body does it automatically, Second proof that I have, or I think I have, psychologically, right? So, so we've got this autonomic thing that we, we can't, like, if we removed it medically, we would cease to exist. Psychologically, we're born with sort of this innate response within us that keeps us safe. My kid comes out of the womb. He's automatically looking around the room going, who are these people? There's crazy. There's people with hair. They're big. Right? We put green vegetables on my kids' plate. They go, oh. <laughs> There's something psychologically built into my kids that green vegetables are bad. I don't know where they learned it. Not, not probably from me, not from her. Uh, but, but strangers, if we go over the edge of a cliff and we start looking, who's, who's afraid of heights? Right? Did we have to learn that? Or is it just kind of psychologically just kind of built into us that we, we have this mechanism that says, oh, I don't like that. Spiders, whatever else. Like, like we, we have this fear kind of built into us um, that says, whoa. We let our kids out. And uh, I, was, I was chatting with your daughter this morning with their hair like that. And I said, hey, can you do my hair like that? She looked at me like, you crazy fool, get away from me. Because I'm a stranger. I, you didn't have to tell her to, to you know, I, we worked for months and months and months to get my son to walk by Officer Ben and not do this. <laughs> Bob, it's okay. I know he's got a bald head and he's big and he's wearing a gun. But it's Okay. See, we don't have to teach ourselves to fear. We have to teach ourselves to trust. My job as a father with him is that, hey, bud, this guy's protecting us. This guy is here for us. This guy has, has a, a weapon to, for good, not for evil. So I have, my job is to teach him the difference. So it's built into us biologically. It's built into us psychologically. It's in our head, right? We can, we can get that all screwed up. 
And we can, we can do therapy later with everyone if that psychological stuff is messed up from the beginning. But, but we have these building blocks in our early parts of our life that psychologically we develop this trust or mistrust, this fear, this anxiety. Am I going to be safe? Am I going to get food? Are people going to love me? Third theological proof. Um, third proof is theological. Um, so obviously I read the Bible before doing this. Um, and I see story after story after story from the front to the back that God is talking about fear. I think it's Rick Warren who says, uh, or kind of made famous that, that this idea there's fear not 365 times in the Bible. May know that? Like how many days are there? Right? 365. Uh, fear not. So, so there's a little bit of paradox here for me because on in, in one hand we see, we, we hear this call to fear but then we're designed for it. Mentally, physically, and spiritually we're designed for fear and so I said, okay God so if you've innately put this in me, what in the world do I do with it? What in the world? We look at Abraham and we we say, okay, Abraham, what's, what's Abraham's deal? He's like, oh, I want to have a kid. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to have a legacy. I'm going to be a, just this fatherless generation. There's, there's nothing before me, going after me. I'm just going to die an old man. God gives him a kid. And what does he have to do with the kid? God says, hey, why don't you go kill him? Take him up to the mountain and kill him. Right? I'm going to teach you about my sovereignty and about my provision. But hey, you're going to have to address that fear with me first. Moses, hey, hey, God, I don't, I, I don't want to go talk to Pharaoh. I know you want your people free, but me? You want me to do that? There's a lot of fear in that story. We see Moses wrestle with that over and over and over. Oh, you want to go through the wilderness? Where's the food going to come from? What are we going to wear? Sound like normal stuff that we deal with? Some, some normal kind of fear that, that we... Uh, do you erase this, Colby? We did this this morning a little bit. Some normal things that, that we need to address every day. David, right? He goes in and he kills lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Um, and then he faces a giant. And then he faces Saul. There's just this, this whole thing that's based around fear. When we read it through that lens, he's scared out of his mind. But we're designed to do that. Follow me still? Ananias goes to, he's kind of the town theologian. He's the good guy in this story. Acts chapter 9. Paul has his little episode where he goes blind and God reveals himself to him. That's a whole fear thing anyway. God says, hey, this guy who uh, took took your money last month and killed your neighbor... He's coming to your house. And you're going to lay your hands on him and you're going to pray for him to see. Not me. Lock the doors. <laughs> There's a house in, in never mind. <laughs> but we see in our Bible and our text the stories of how people address fear. So there's none other to me um, then the story of Job, 
that that we see a man um, who, who God says that was blameless and that feared God. And so I want to take I want to take a look a little bit at Job's story and how he positioned his fear, where it got out of whack, and how God restored him. Everybody got the fact that we're designed to fear? Okay. Everybody agree with me or disagree? Okay. Because when I, th- when I think through this, I, I, I go to Timothy, 2 Timothy, and, and that, that scripture says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, right? So that's where probably a lot of you guys are going. And I think it's totally different. Our, our design is different than having a spirit of. Okay, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute and on how, how when our design gets broken, we develop into the spirit of. Follow me? Okay, so we're going to look at, we're going to look at Job a little bit. And so... Uh, he's our case study for today. And so uh, verse 1 uh, says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. If there's an epitaph that I could have, it would be that. Wouldn't it? It would be kind of cool to have that, somebody to stand up and say, Hey, Austin, he was a guy from Saginaw. Right? He was blameless and upright, went to see the life. And he feared God and turned away from evil. That, I mean, if, if you guys want a, a mission statement for life, that would be it. And so again, the, the F word, that's what we call it at Clear Fork, is, is, the, is the F word. That's the real F word, is, is the thing that really destroys us, is, is fear. And so if I say the F word, it's fear. I didn't cuss this time, Jesse. Wherever you're at. You had to have been here last time. There were born to him seven sons, three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all people in the East. It's a pretty big statement for a guy. Pretty, pretty big opening, right? Like I have six cows. People ask me their names, and like they don't have names. It's like tax credit one, tax credit two, tax credit three. That's their names. Like, and every time I see them, I get anxiety. Like, oh my gosh, are they going to die? I'm so thankful for the rain because it makes the grass grow, so I don't have to buy hay. And like, and I look at this story, and I'm like, seven thousand of something. I don't want to manage that. You don't have like an app to to tag them all. You know how many people it takes to take care of that many people? So his fear, what we see right here before it gets bad, is his fear, his, his designed ability to contain fear, his capacity for fear is directed in the right direction. Because you can't manage that much stuff and be afraid of it. Say amen. Right? Whatever your situation is, is you can't be focused on it and manage it. That thing has to be focused this way. And so we have this Charlie Daniels moment in the book of Job where Satan goes down to Georgia looking for a stole of steel. And he goes to God and he says, hey, people really don't love you. They just love you because you provide for them. They just love you because, because you give them a lot of sheep and a lot of people. And they don't have to worry about anything. 
It's a lie. Right? Because the more too much is given, much shall be required. Okay? And so God says, yeah, you're wrong. Try my buddy Job. It's a familiar story, right? If you've been in the church for any period of time, uh, we used to talk about this, this story about pain and suffering and, and, and what is God's role in our life in that. And, and, and so we know it. We really kind of know it. So, so Job loses everything, all the animals, all of his kids. And so Satan says, hey, he's two for two. What's going on here? Does he really love you? God says, yeah. Says, what's next? What can I do to him next? God says, "Eh, anything you want to but kill him. Anything you want to but take his life and watch. I'll double down on Job. And he does. And so God kind of steps out of the picture. Satan has his way with Job's health. So now the three things that we value the most, I was in, a, in my kind of entrepreneurial small group. We asked this question, you know, if you could answer a question 10 years from now or 20 years from now, sometime in the future, what question would you want to ask and why? They're all based around how many cows am I going to have? What is my family going to look like? And what is my health going to be? We did that this morning. We wrote, them on the, we wrote them on here with all the, all, the, all the people before service. It was, what are my cows going to look like? My money. What are my friends or my family, my, my social relationships going to look like? And then am I going to have hair? <laughs> what is my health going to be like? So Satan has his way with Job's health. And we have like 29 chapters of like this poetic theological nonsense from three of the dumbest friends ever. They come to him, they sit at his feet, they sit there for seven days because he's like oozing of goo and, and sores and grossness. And so like it's the purification time. They sit with him, they sit in quiet, they follow the law and they say, what did you do? What did you do? And they begin to judge him. And they begin to call out to him to find the sin and repent. And all this time, we start off in the story, and Job is not worried about his situation this way when his kids die, when his cows die. But his fear somehow begins to turn from here to here. And we don't overtly see Job say, God, I hate you. Why did you do this to me? We don't see overtly Job's like sin. But what we do see is his focus begin to move from fearing God to fearing death. Am I I there? Am I there with me? Like when we have a situation to where we roll into it and we're like, oh God, you're awesome. And then somebody gets cancer. What are we going to do about cancer? Anybody there? Anybody been there? Okay. Like, God, you're amazing. I got baptized three weeks ago. 
how am I going to pay my rent? My girlfriend just broke up with me. The balance sheet doesn't look right. My guitar's out of tune. <laughs> Whatever. Like very little things, very big things. So God says, so they, they, they fast forward to verse chapter like 38 after the friends do all their nonsense. And, and God and Job begin to have this, this battle, this conversation. We see very poetically, very wordy. So you have to kind of like sift through all the nonsense. Basically, Job is saying, hey, why won't you tell me what's going on? I'm Job. Tell me what's going on. I deserve it. And he, he shows him two beasts, one in the sea, one in the land, the Leviathan and the behemoth. And he says, these two things you can't control. There's not a spear big enough on the land for you to put in that beast's side to bring it down. There's not a hook big enough to put in Leviathan's mouth that you can drag him out of the water. Guess who created those? Me. I love this imagery. I love, like, when, when I pray and when I wrestle with God, this is kind of how it looks. Because <laughs> I want to know. Because me knowing takes away my fear, doesn't it? But who's responsible for, for that victory? Who's responsible for that victory when I figure it out? Yes. Me. Who doesn't get glory? Him, right? And so, so when I have a little victory that Austin wins, what does Austin think the next time he has a battle? I got this. Where you at? Hey. And so let's roll back to this spirit of fear thing. So we roll in to these equations of life and one of two things happen is, is, is we've created a culture of really anemic people who don't know how to walk or use their fear into situations. I'm not going to ask that girl out because I'm afraid. I'm not going to go for that job because I'm afraid. I'm not going to climb to the top of the mountain because I'm afraid. And what do we do? Hey, here's a treat. Follow me on Facebook. Read my blog post because it'll lift you up. I know you didn't accomplish anything, but here's a pat on the back. Thank you. <laughs> so we, we've created this, this anemia of, 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 of folks who, who don't know how to access that fear that God has placed in them and utilize that for the kingdom. Utilize that for their good. Job, at the very end of this, he says, I answer the Lord. And then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. We know that, right? We, we, we read Romans 8 all the time. I can do all things, right? We know this. But until we put our rear ends in the seat and we, we drive to that destination, we don't know that. And so the story of, of Job here is him actually, the, the Greek word is gnosko, getting to know God in his circumstances, getting to know that fear and saying, oh, it doesn't belong on you. It belongs on you. 
He says, who hides this? Or who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. So from like chapter 3 to chapter like 38, there's just this babbling of things and accusations and, and, and misconceptions. We know our friends like that that are wrapped up in anxiety, wrapped up in fear. Because it's just like, you should, I, as a therapist, I have to be, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I would just slap them and say, look, that's not the truth. He says, hear and I will speak. I will question you and you will make it known to me. He kind of goes back to this like demanding information from God. He said, I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear. But now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. He went and made sacrifice for him being ignorant. For his sin of doubting who God is and what God does in him. I don't know if I was going to use this or not, but here we go. When we have fear, we have this very obvious decision to make. Do I want to place my fear on something that man makes? Or do I want to place it on God? And in my journal, when, when I was thinking all this through, we can, we can extrapolate this out so much, and you'll get the book probably in like five years. Just buy it on Amazon for $9.99. But eventually when I do stuff, at least to me, and death. I'm in the counseling field. I got psychiatry. I got doctors all around me. They provide man's answer to this. And anti-anxiety medication, antidepressants, I get it. They work. But for some reason in me, what happened to Colby... It was God taught me. Stop trying to figure it out, you idiot. Stop trying to figure it out. And surrender. I have a choice. I have a choice right there to keep it. I can keep it on this side. Or I can surrender it on this side. And guess what God gives me in return? It's like, okay, God, does that thing work for eternity as well? He said, yeah. It's like, so in my daily life, I have this, this option. And then in my eternal life, I have this option. He's like, yeah. See, we've created such a vast knowledge base in our world that we can solve any problem. Come to me after service with an issue, and in 15 minutes, I can figure out how to fix it. I'll pull my phone out. I'm going to YouTube it or Google it. You and I will have a plan on how to fix any problem that you can bring to me. Right? But why? When we have the answer. 
We cannot. We are designed to fear. It's built in us. We can't extricate ourselves from it. We can't pull it away. It's who we are. We're designed to fear him. And when our fear gets screwed up, we end up in a mess. I met with a pastor of a big church marketing my business, and he said, I, I, I don't have anything for 13 to 18-year-olds, but do you have something for like that 19 to 29-year-old who's sitting in their mom's house, not going to school, not going to work? They're calling in, and they're telling me, Pastor, I can't come to church today because my anxiety is too bad. He's like, I could fill your place. I don't care how many therapists you have. I could fill your place just with my church, just with the people in my community that I know right now. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of watching fear rip life away from us. It is something that we're designed for. But Satan's using it to mess with us. So Ephesians 3.20, I love Paul's kind of prayer here. Here's my last call to us is we have to surrender to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be the glory by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's the silliest paradoxical thing for us to do because we're so good. Our created design is to win and to fix things. But it's our job to surrender. I want to I pray for, for two people today. First one is, I'm, I know who God is and what God does in my life. I follow him daily, but there's these fears that kind of have me in shackles. And I want to be free of those things. Not quite yet a spirit of fear, but they're nagging. They're overwhelming. And then there's this other group that I'm afraid to make a commitment. I'm afraid to say, God, I trust you fully, wholly with all that is in my life. So stand with me. I won't go against the grain and make you keep your eyes open. That's my instinct, but I'll go against it. Close your eyes. If you say, I've never made this declaration to know Christ as my Lord and my Savior, and I want to, I don't want to be afraid of what's next after I do that, after I take that step. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you, thank you. And then the next group. I know him, but I wake up every day afraid. And I'm tired of that nonsense. Anybody? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
So pray this prayer with me, guys. Father, I surrender my fear to you. Take me. Guide me. Love me. Forgive me. Thank you for new life. Thank you for freedom. I surrender all. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's message. You know, City Life Church, we are all about developing followers of Jesus who influence and shape culture. And it's possible that you are even feeling a a shift that is coming in your life, or possibly deep down inside, you feel called to something more. And City Life might be a part of that future. Let me tell you, Launch Sunday is the big event that's coming up, and it's happening on February 10th, 2019. And if you'd really like to be a part of what God is doing in downtown Fort Worth through City Life Church, I'm asking you to go and visit our website at citylifefw.org and click the launch button. Uh, You can also just come and visit one of our services because I I really believe the future is bright and it's limitless in potential. I want you to hear my vision. I want you to be a part of what God is doing at City Life and come and chat with me personally after one of the services.